you know, like since we, since God has started our church, you know, we were kind of orphans for a while. And then, you know, you guys met my pastor Gary, right? And Gary was kind of like my Barnabas and he was like, you know, I'm going to take you to the other brothers and, and I'm going to convince them that you're really a Christian. It's okay, right? <laughs> so that was our process in becoming um, affiliated with Calvary Chapel. Anyway, so that was like mm, seven years ago. And so he's like, hey, I go to the senior pastor's uh, lunch once a month. And Brian Newberry said you can come. I'm like, Brian Newberry said I can come? Like, do you know who Brian Newberry, do you know who you are? Right, anyway, so I'm kind of still starstruck because these are people that I listen to on the radio, you know, just things like that. So I go to his church. By the way, his office is bigger than our entire building, right? So, and then they talk to me like I'm a pastor because the only thing I wanted to know was what do I need to do? I don't want any money. I just want to know what to do. And places where I had been, it was kind of like, you're gifted, you're mature, this, that, and the other. But So anyway, all the Calvary guys are just like, and pouring into me and discipling me and mentoring me and everything. Right? And so, um, for everybody that was here during those early days, you remember how we were going through the process of like, what does it mean to become really recognized as a church, right? So anyway, we were going through this process. But also along that same time, Brian's family had a, had a tragedy going, um, happen. And I was teaching one of my sons how to drive. And under my careful toolage, you know, we drove through the front window of the metro building. And so then Brian's like, hey, I can come alongside you and help you. I'm like, Okay, well, teach the kid how to drive, right? So now they're driving. So every time I get in the car with the kid, he's like, Pastor Brian says don't do that. Pastor Brian says this. Pastor Brian said put on your seatbelt. I'm like, I don't care what Pastor Brian said. I've been driving this way for years. That's why I'm learning from him. (laughs) So now all my kids after that, they're like, hey, I want to start driving. Can you give me Pastor Brian's number? like okay so anyway today one of my mentors and disciplers and one of my pastors because God gave gave me so many um pastor brian newberry from calvary chapel san diego is going to share with us and on a side note his wife and kim hit it off and they're like best buddies like you know and brian see if you if you don't know brian he's like a 12-cylinder vehicle firing on 13 cylinders. So he's like, but Cheryl and Kim are talking all the time. And I'm like, I can't talk to Brian like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So anyway, you guys, welcome Pastor Brian Newberry.
Well, um, I thank you for that introduction, but uh, it, it uh, is way overblown. I, and although um, I have been blessed to know Daryl for a long time, and we do talk, but we are guys. So it's, it's more like 400 words rather than 4,000 words. But uh, um, I am no longer the pastor of Calvary San Diego. I actually turned that church over. A, over a year ago now in March and I'm working with a group called Poimen which is the Greek word for shepherd and um, there's uh, 12 of us scattered throughout the United States and one in England one in New Zealand as well and um, what we do is we we're, our goal is to strengthen pastors to strengthen the churches and and, uh, and so Daryl actually had asked if uh, one of the Poimen pastors which I just live around the corner um in Chula Vista there, um, would come out, and, and uh, so, yeah, I, I came out, and um, understand, what God's doing here at this church is not happening everywhere. Um, I don't care if you have a thousand people, it's the, there's, there's certain absolutes that most of the time don't exist, you know, and uh, as Harry said, just the Spirit of the Lord moving, you know, you just, it's God's presence is here and of course Daryl's now one of my best my, one of my favorite teachers he's amazing I, I I hear him teach and just go wow how did I miss that uh, for the last 40 years that's amazing stuff so we have really enjoyed being here the last few Sundays and got we got in one Wednesday night and and um, and so love the church here love Daryl love Kim and praying for Kim and um, I just before we start, I just I do want to say, Harry, you you did better than I did with the chair, okay? <laughs> I, I actually signed up, put the down payment, and I got home going, I can't afford this. I don't have any place. It doesn't match anything, and. Uh, it, it took a whole team of people to, to get me out of that contract. My, my friend Danny right behind you is my financial guy, and, and uh, I ended up losing the down payment on that. It was very, very, very embarrassing. But thank you for sharing that. But those chairs, if, if, you know, once you become Bill Gates, those chairs are great. Yeah, I'm sure Bill Gates has one. But they are amazing. You just can picture yourself coming home every day and... 
Um, I don't think it would help you grow spiritually. <laughs> I think it might even hinder your spiritual walk. But Anyway, I um, have the privilege of teaching here today, and I'm very excited. We're continuing the book of Matthew, and uh, we find ourselves in chapter 8 today. Um, last week, Daryl finished the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And let's pray. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you'd open your word to give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. So remember, Matthew is not really trying to be a good chronological book of, of the timing. Luke, the Gospel of Luke does a better job of that. But Matthew's goal is to teach to the Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. And if you follow his logic, um, no Jew can read that and, and, and not realize Jesus has to be the Messiah because there's just no other way anybody else could ever fulfill that, whether you can prove you're of the lineage of David, uh, which can't be done today, or a number of other things. And and so in the end of chapter 4, it, it sort of gives you a verse there that says, and by the way, Jesus did a bunch of healings and demons were cast out. And, and then it was stopped. And then it spent three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, saying this is what Jesus taught. Now, do I, do I think Jesus taught all of that at one time? Probably not. I think interdispersed in the teaching were people asking him questions and people wanting to be healed, Right. But Matthew just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an idea of, of what Jesus taught. And no doubt it was above um, Galilee in, in the mountains there and the hills. You know, it, it's so funny. If you go to parts of the United States where they really don't have any mountains, they call hills mountains. Oh, that's our mountain. Where? Well, yeah, it's a hill. But to them, it's a mountain. And, you know, you go to Austria and you, you say, oh, that's my mountain. There you go. And you've got to be kidding me. Um, but, uh, you know, don't forget, Galilee is the lowest fresh water on the earth. Isn't that crazy? There's a lot of that first in, in Israel. The lowest spot on planet earth is in Israel, the Dead Sea. And, uh, and the lowest body of water is the Dead Sea, but the lowest fresh water is 800 feet below sea level. So if you think Jesus spent almost all of his life and all of his ministry below level, below sea level, although all his teachings were very much on the level, right? <laughs> so it is interesting, and, and, and you have the hills around Galilee, and then you do have the Golan Heights, which are some pretty high mountains with, with snow and stuff. And so Jesus, you know, was teaching around Galilee on the various hills. And at times, we know, he took his disciples up on the mountain to explain it to them better. And so there were different groups, right? Sometimes it was a multitude of people. Sometimes it was just the 12 apostles. Sometimes it was the 70. Sometimes the 500. So there's all kinds of, of different things. But um, going back to chapter 4, he now is, is, is continuing on. So 5, 6, 7, sort of parentheses. Let me explain to you how Jesus blasted the Jewish cult of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They hijacked Judaism. And, and it is false teaching. 
it, it, they're, they're telling you that if you follow their example, it'll lead you to righteousness, and it'll actually lead you to unrighteousness. And let me logically explain to you how what the Pharisees and Sadducees teach isn't consistent with the Bible. And even though they're telling you that the Bible says this, it doesn't say that. That's their traditions. That's their rabbis. They're quoting the rabbi of the rabbi of the rabbi uh, in the Mishnah and the Talmud, and it's wrong. And I want to tell you what true Judaism looks like. And true Judaism will lead you to a brokenness to say, I need the Messiah. There is really nothing else but one thing. It's not a religion. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not a philosophy. It's not a bunch of theology. Because it says the Pharisees studied the Bible, but yet they hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And, 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 and he, we learn later that knowledge puffs up, that you can, Satan, I'm sure, has the Bible memorized. He's been around thousands of years, you know. It doesn't save him. It didn't save the Pharisees. They were sons of Satan, even though they knew the Bible very, very well. So it, it was their twistedness. And now, now we're coming back. And, and now Matthew's saying, I just want to give you a whole bunch of miracles in a row. Now, I'm sure these didn't happen one after after the next and next. Some of them did, but they were dispersed throughout his, his ministry. And so it tells us back in the end of chapter 4 that he did healings and demons were cast out and so forth, but nothing specific. So now he's going to give us very detailed, specific miracles. And when you look at these, they scream to the whole nation, Jesus is the Messiah. So in verse 1 here, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this is the first personal, detailed miracle of Jesus in Matthew. Harry shared earlier the first miracle of Jesus, which was turning the water to wine, right? But that's only in the Gospel of John. But, but here in Matthew, this is, this is the first time here. And uh, it's, it's interesting that um, Luke adds that this guy was full of leprosy, which is, uh, again, Dr. Luke. He was at the end stages of leprosy. And leprosy is, is the most radical disease. It was the most feared thing of the people of that day because it was a disgrace. And almost all the religions including Judaism, said it's a sign that you are being punished by God. You are a unique sinner, and God's making your ugly sin life visible to everybody. You can't hide it. And, and, and so, you know, that was their constant thing. Remember they said to the, in John 9, the blind man who sinned, this man or his parents. And she said, no, nobody sinned. They, they, you know, that, that's not what's going on. And, and I just like to say that, that this is, this is a horrible, heretical teaching to say that our sickness is connected with the lack of our faith or spirituality. The Bible constantly puts that down. And you say, well, but they were always healed. Well, Paul wasn't, remember? He's like, I got the sword in the flesh. I keep asking God to take it away. And God said, uh, wait till heaven, Paul. <laughs> Gave him this wonderful picture of heaven. That's, that's, you know, you're going to be 100% healed in heaven. And so we are 100% all going to be healed, right? But it's going to be a brand new body in a brand new place. 
And um, emotionally, physically, we're going to be 100% whole one day. But, but it's, it's, again, a fallacy to, to say, well, the reason you're not being healed is because you're lacking spirituality. You're lacking faith. You're not where you should be spiritually. If you really had faith, you would be healed. And, of course, the Bible constantly says that, you know, Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your constant infirmities. Timothy wasn't healed. Paul in 2 Timothy, he says, I'm leaving Epaphroditus in my litus because he's sick and not getting better. So it wasn't like these guys are getting healed all the time. You know, you think about it, it's like, what would we not pray for? Oh, I got to hang now. Lord, heal it. Oh, thank you. Okay, finish filing that. Well, we're a Christians. My kid has never been cut. He's never had to have a stitch. When he fell and had a bruise, I prayed the bruise away. Oh, I got a cavity. No need to go to the dentist. Lord, heal that cavity. I mean, you see, it starts getting sort of ridiculous. And But beyond that, the, the point the Lord makes abundantly clear is we all are living under the curse of Adam. And we're not separate from the world. We are just like the world. We struggle with our marriages and our kids and our finances and our health and, and whatever oppressiveness or blessings in a society we're all sharing equally. But we stand out. We're the light and the salt of the earth, not because we're richer and healthier and, and we stand out as the best top 10% of Americans. It's like we're going through the fire and God's with us. We're going through the flood waters, and we're, we're getting drowned too, but the Lord is sustaining us. And that is the light and the salt we are to the world. Not, not that we get healed every time, uh, or every time we run out of wine, we just get some water and turn it to wine. Um, but to, the word leper actually just means skelly. Um, it's believed to have probably started in Egypt because they've actually found mummies with leprosy. They had what was called the, the myobacterium uh, in, inside these mummies, which was the leprosy. Now, whether the leprosy we know about today was the same as ancient leprosy, we don't know. We're thinking it might have been a much, what we know now is a much milder strain than what they had then. Leprosy is still very much with us. As a matter of fact, um, the last reporting they did was in 2016, and there was 173,000 people who had leprosy globally in, in 16 countries. Now, your first thought is, well, it's India, and you know, America's one of those 16. Matter of fact, um, in... in uh, 2016, there were 200 cases reported in the United States. Did you know we have a leper colony in the United States in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? And, and although there was only 173 leprosy cases, yet at the same year, there were 216,000 new cases reported which is substantially down. In the 80s, it was 5.2 million people uh, in the world who had leprosy. But a guy by the name of Hansen, Dr. Hansen, 
he identified the, the leprosy bacteria and he came up with the ability to stop it. So whatever damage the leprosy has done, it's going to stay, but it won't do further damage. It can put it into remission. And uh, today, to take away the stigma of the word leprosy, they call it Hansen's disease after Dr. Hansen. Isn't that sort of bad? I mean, if, if I were a doctor and, and you're going to name it a disease, it's like I'm going to get my worst enemy, somebody I really hate, you know. Johnny Smith. I'm going to call it Johnny Smith disease. Yeah, that'll get you back, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. If you get a disease called after yourself, I, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, but definitely, as we look in the Bible, there's quite a bit about leprosy. Matter of fact, chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus are given to this study of leprosy. And uh, as we look at it, it is definitely a disease that existed that God paralleled with how sin destroys the body. Not that a person who gets leprosy because they sinned. He's just simply saying, just like he says, you know, here's a field, you know, here's how a sower sows the seed. He's just saying, this is something you know about, and let me give you a spiritual analogy to something that, and this is what happens with leprosy. Look at leprosy. The people are observing what's happening with people with leprosy, and throughout the scripture, he says, this is what sin does. This is how sin works. And so often in the Bible and, and in our own minds, it is a picture of how sin can decay and destroy a life. In Luke 13, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron when a man has the skin on his body and swelling and scab and a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. The hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is leprous sore. Then his, bright, then his priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. In chapter 13, skipping to verse 51 and 52. Now, if the plague has spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague is an act of leprosy. It is unclean. It shall therefore burn that garment in which the plague, whether the warp or the woof and the wool or in the linen, anything of leather, it is an act of leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. And then in Leviticus 13, 14, 45 and 46, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. And he shall be unclean all the days he has swore he shall be unclean. He is unclean. Number two, notice this. He shall dwell alone. Look at the next thing. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Interesting that when we look at the scriptures on Jesus on the cross, they give these same wordings on leprosy, that Jesus on the cross took our leprosy. Um, so in the Jewish law, there were 61 ways of being defiled. The top one was touching the dead, and the second one was touching a leper or a leper touching you. So in the rabbinical laws in the Talmud, they said a leper could come no closer than six feet unless the wind was blowing 
Then it was 150 feet. William Barclay describes leprosy this way. The whole appearance of the face has changed till a man loses his human appearance and looks, as the ancients said, like a lion in the face. They call this in the full uh, stages, they, they call it the lion stage because his nose has fallen off, his ears have fallen off, his uh, eyes are sunken in, and his, his, the, the shape of his face begins to change, and, and they call it the lion stage. He says here, the nodules go larger and larger of the nose, ulcerating, and there comes a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become starring. The voice becomes hoarse. And the victim wheezes because of the ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and the feet also ulcerate, slowing the sufferer because of the mass of ulcerated gross. The average course of the disease is nine years, and it ends in mental decay, coma, ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive, both to himself and to others. L.S. Lusinger, Lusinga uh, says this. In his book, here are some pictures of that right there. Okay, and going to the next quote by L.S. Lusinga. In his book, Yeah, one, there we go. Uh, the disease which we today, go one more. You have any other quotes? Sorry. What I did is I actually put the one quote in twice. <laughs> there we go. The disease which we today call leprosy generally begins with pain in the certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickness spots become dirty sores, ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted individual becomes to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are effectively similarly. The eyebrows and the eyelashes drop out. By the time one can see the person in his pitiable condition is a leper, by the touch of a finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, he has few of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently also attacks the larynx. The leopard's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse. You can now only see and feel and smell the leper, but you can hear his raspy voice. And if you stay with him, if you stay with him for some time, you can imagine a particular taste in your own mouth, probably due to the odor. Interesting that Dr. Bran had believed for years that the ulceration caused a deterioration. In other words, the, the ears shrunk and the, eye and, the, and the fingers fell off because of the disease was eating them away. But after Dr. Bran had set up a leprosy colony, he began to realize that's not the case. Notice what he observed. 
he, he observed that um, Dr. Brand Carvel, Louisiana, one of the world's foremost experts, describes leprosy patients losing their fingers and toes not only because of the disease can cause decay, but because they lack pain sensation. Nothing warns when a person's in scalding water or has a hammer hit uh, splinters and, and shatters uh, his hand. And what he began to discover is that people would go to bed with fingers and wake up without fingers because the rats had chewed them off in the night. They began to realize that you could break your leg and the person can keep walking sort of normal on a broken leg, but the gangrene begins to set in and destroy it. The, the, the ears were disappearing as they have scalding water, and he would actually be taking his own ear off, not realizing he was doing that because they had no pain sensation. Interesting, when you again compare that to sin, you know, you start off with that, uh, it just looks like a surface issue. Oh, it's a sin, but I, I got it in control. But then it says that a bright spot on the skin. Isn't that the way sin seems at first? Woo, I'm alive again. I got this bright spot happening. But then it begins to turn white. Looks, looks pure. It looks okay. But then it begins to deteriorate the skin. And then it begins to spread throughout the whole body. And eventually disease becomes spongy, tumor, swelling, ulcerating, affecting Every part, the hands, the feet, the nose, the eyes. It worsens and worsens until it begins to rot. And then it begins to stink. And then it begins to spread through the whole household, right down to the smallest piece of fabric. And also, what does sin do? It isolates you. You know, you can imagine that guy who's like, yeah, I've got this little weird thing, you know, happening. We all have those on our bodies, right? <laughs> those spots that, you know, oh, that's bigger than it used to be. It gets a little scary. But he's got this thing on his skin, and 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 he's like, yeah, you better have the priest look at that. And he's like, whoa, we're going to set you over here in isolation for seven days. Keep an eye on that, and then it's clear. The man can never hug his kids, never touch his wife, can't live in the same house anymore. They come in and and burn everything in the house. And here's this man separated. The closest he could get is six feet. But yet the stench of him would probably repulse his own family. Well, there's a lot more that can be said on that. But this leper in full stage, there's a multitude of people. I think they probably made the way for the... You know, get away, get away, this leper, unclean, unclean. You know, the sea of people parting. And he comes and he worships. The word prosukamai means you fall down at the feet of, which would have been a very hard thing for him to do at that point. But notice what he says, Lord. This is the first time in all the Bible where Jesus is specifically called Lord. By this leper. You are Lord. You are Yahweh. You are, in essence, the Messiah. I believe this. But then he says something interesting. He says, if you are willing. Notice he didn't say, if you can, if it's possible. 
He had total belief, had total faith that the power was there. Had anybody in all of history ever been healed of leprosy? One guy in in Kings 5, a Syrian general, (laughs) had been healed by Elisha as he dipped seven times in the Jordan River. But it wasn't a Jew. That was the only time. So really, it's not like, oh, I know this is possible as I've seen it done. I know it. I've heard about it. Something that is impossible, that is not done, Jesus, I'm not even questioning that. My question is, if you're willing. In essence, can, do you have compassion on me? The rabbis taught that you were supposed to throw rocks at somebody with leprosy to keep them away from you, that you were to abuse them physically if they ever walked down your street, even if it was at night. And here he's saying, will you have compassion? I I don't know. I doubt that. I've never met a rabbi that has compassion on me. Mercy, love, care. This guy was hurting. He probably hasn't been touched in years. He hasn't had been able to, to, to fall asleep at night with somebody that he loves nearby. His kids have grown up without him. His wife maybe has gone off and remarried. This, this man, yes, the leprosy is horrible, but the power of presence, the power of the touch, he was hurting a lot more than just physically and guys, you know, as we look at this today, don't, don't doubt God's compassion and love. Because so often we say, well, I should know better. I should be better. I, I, sh- I, am not, I shouldn't be this sinful, leprous person, but I am. And it's this simple. God so what? Love. Now, if the Bible said God got so disgusted with man's sin, he sent his son to get rid of that disgusting stuff. And I, I, I mean, that's pretty much the way I parented. You know, kids in the back row, in the back seat, you're driving somewhere fighting. It's like, ah! God is, is so sick and tired of your weakness and your words and your attitudes. I'm going to send my son to... Take that away because I'm sick of, you know. No. God loved. In John 8, he says, if God didn't withhold his only begotten son to be tortured and died, why would anything else be taken away from you or not allowed? He gave the greatest of the greatest of the greatest sacrifice. So anything you ask of him is lesser than that. He's not going to hold. In Romans 10, it says, God is rich to all who call upon his name. And so I love this. In Matthew 8, 3, notice what Jesus did. He put out his hand and touched him. So if you look at the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like taking these laws, not of the Bible, but of the rabbi's teachings, the Talmud of the Mishnah, and he's, he's breaking them. And he's doing it publicly. You know, healing on the Sabbath, you know, you look at the Pharisees and their prayer life, it, it's disgusting. God doesn't look at it that they're amazing people praying on the street corners. 
He doesn't look at their great giving, blowing trumpets as something special. Quite the opposite. It's the widow with their might that, that blesses God's heart. And now he's doing the opposite of what the law of man had taught. And that touch is like, even if I'm not healed of leprosy, thank you for touching me. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that compassion. Even if I walk away and die next week, I was touched again. What a, oh, what a healing moment that was. But then Jesus says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus touched him. And I know some commentators say before he touched him, he no longer had leprosy. So he didn't actually touch a leprosy man. So that's not breaking the law. But I don't, I don't think so. I think he touched him. He had leprosy. But before he let go of touching him, and I, I wonder if it was more than just like a little touch. Ooh, let me find a spot that's not too gooey. You know, I don't think that's what it was. I think he grabbed him and he brought him close and he embraced him and put his head next to his head and and whispered in his ear, "I'm willing." I'll tell you what. The world will know we are Christians by what? Our love. And you know, I can almost take the word love and throw it away because it has zero meaning today unless you explain it. But isn't the number one thing just kindness? It's interesting if you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and love is kindness. And then it looks like it breaks down what kindness looks like. It's just being kind, not caring. Interesting, in Mark 16, Jesus says, go into the world and preach to all creatures. Of course, St. Francis of Assisi meant birds and sheep and cows. And No, I, I was in London many years back now. And we were walking through and, and it was a time where we didn't have all the transgender stuff here, but it was over there. And you were walking down the street and you don't know if this is a man or a woman. Some people had tattooed looking like lions. Some literally had horns stuck in their skin. You didn't know what they were. But they were a creature of God. <laughs> and it's just like preached to every creature. And this guy, what did this guy look like? A lion? Didn't even hardly look human. In Mark 16, it says the reason miracles happen was to confirm the gospel. So in other words, what's happening, what we believe God's doing in the spiritual realm, God does a miracle for us to see in the physical realm to confirm that what he said in the spiritual realm is happening. And so Mark 16 makes it clear, as you go into all the world and preach the gospel, signs and wonders will follow. In essence, when you go to places where they have not heard the gospel, God will change the wonderful miracles happen around us every second of every day, right? The rotation of the earth, your little fingernail factory going on in there, to our brain, to the birth of a baby. I mean, just miracle after miracle. I mean, it's just awe, awe. It's wonder. Look at a sunset. You're just in awe. 
But he says, I'll, I'll stop this natural miracle. I'll intervene on all the wonderful miracles and do something that's so different than the natural laws, which are miraculous. And, and to signify that what I say has happened in the spiritual realm is also happening. In the, and so you can be confident of that. So Jesus is saying, you are cleansed. Well, that's a nice thought. It's, it's sure a nice thought to think that I'm cleansed spiritually, that I'm going to be healed emotionally, that, that you're doing this everlasting life thing that just, ha- yeah, I'd like to believe that, you know. And, but that's just fairy tales. That's wishful thinking. But in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm cleansing you spiritually, physically, emotionally. And then the miracle on the earth happened to say, wow, if he did cleanse him physically, this miracle happened. And then I can trust what I can't see is also happened. This is what miracles we're meant to do, not to entertain us at church and uh, take all our trials away. But he touched him and he said, I am willing. And then in verse 4, we go on, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one. He had a day, a particular day, we call it Palm Sunday, where Jesus would declare himself as he rode down on the donkey uh, to be his day of declaration. But until that day came, it's, I, don't, I don't want you to focus on me as a Messiah yet. But I want you to go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this is, this is crazy. 1,500 years earlier, by Moses' instruction, they're writing the law. And, they, and in chapter 14 of the Leviticus is when a leper is cleansed, and it's this very detailed, elaborate ceremony. And in all the history of man, it has never been done. They've never had a day where, hey, here's another leper cleanse. Let's uh, whip out Leviticus 14 here. And, and we, are, we know how to do this. We've done it so many times. Do you understand that this is probably this three years of Jesus' ministry is the only time it was done? The apostles, after Jesus raised from the dead, I don't think they would be telling him, go show yourself to the priest. We don't know of any lepers being cleansed, in the Bible anyway. But if they were, I don't think they were sending him there. I don't think they would have been welcomed. <laughs> Probably would have been like the blind man excommunicated. Yeah, Jesus healed you, and you, you see now, get out of here. and Don't ever come back. So when you look at history, There's one time, a season, many lepers, where this is fulfilled. According to Leviticus 14, they were to go to the high priest. If he wasn't available, one of his kids. But the high priest was to do this. And I'm sure they were dusting off the the Torah going, now where is that in there about the cleansing of the leper? Now what are you supposed to get? Uh, well, you're supposed to get a bird. Really? How many? A couple of them? Oh, I have no idea. Cedar wood and hyssop wood and a scarlet thread. Really? And, and a bowl made out of clay. Hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's do that. And what they were to do is go to living water, a stream that had flowing water, and they were to put the bowl there, 
they were to put in the cedar wood, the hyssop wood, and the scarlet thread, and they were to kill the bird and let the blood saturate amongst those things. And then they were to take another bird, dip it in that concoction, and, and let it go free. And then they were to take that bundle of wood and thread and they were to sprinkle it on the guy seven times. And then he was to shave every hair on his body. And then he was to be quarantined for seven days to see if he really was cleansed. After seven days, he would come back and then there'd be another elaborate thing where he would have to bring two lambs. He would have to bring some grain offerings and some bird offerings, all these offerings, but the blood of the lambs were to be sprinkled seven times. And then the blood was to be put on his ear, on his thumb, and on his toe. And then they were to get some oil, and the high priest was to put the oil on his ear, on his thumb, on his toe, and pronounce him clean on the eighth day. Boy, seven is a number of new beginnings, isn't it? And, uh, you know, seven notes in a scale, the eighth starts the scale over again, right? In the musical scale. Seven days of the week, the eighth day begins a new week. Jesus was pierced in seven places. Jesus had 70, seven, not 70, seven sayings on the cross. And alas, it is finished. Jesus, interesting enough, had said in Matthew 5, I did not come to destroy the law, but what? Fulfill it. If Jesus had not come and healed that leper, Leviticus 14 would have been unnecessary. It would have been chapter 13. Somebody has leprosy, they're out. Story's over. But God prophesies and says, there is going to be a day that this scripture is used. 1,500 years later, it's used by the high priest having to declare, Jesus has done what no man has ever done. They cleanse this leper, and a couple days later, another leper shows up. A few more days later, seven guys show up at one time. And all of a sudden, a passage scripture they never used, they're using nonstop. And only Jesus, he is the Messiah. Isaiah picks up on this in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins are like what? Scarlet, double dyed. Man has no ability to make it white again, yet God can. The hyssop branch. David refers to himself as a leper in Psalm 51 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Interesting. Jesus on the cross, when they took the sponge and the sour wine, they put it on a hyssop branch and they gave it to him this is why many commentaries think that Jesus was hung on cedar wood and uh, that the cross was made out of cedar wood but it's interesting talking about Jesus on the cross in Isaiah 52 14 it says just as many Isaiah 52 14 just as many were astonished at you, and so his visage was marred more than what? Any man. And his form 
more than the sons of men. This lady is saying Jesus on the cross didn't look human. You know, we often think about it. He, he was beaten. His beard was plucked out. The crown of thorns upon the brow, which bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. And then it dried. Jesus probably had dried blood, which we know goes from red to black, don't we? He had been beaten so many times. His face was bulging all different ways. His eyes were probably barely able to see out of them. His hair was caked in blood, so it just looked like a a black, muddy mess. And when you looked at him on the cross, you could hardly see his human form anymore. It didn't look human. All I can do is see this black, dried blood where his nose used to be. His lips are so puffed up, it doesn't look like a mouth anymore. Interesting, maybe it looked like a leper on that cross. Interesting in Hebrews, it tells us that, that Jesus, after being crucified, after giving his body as an offering, was put outside the camp, outside the gate, just like the leper. It tells us this, that after he suffered, he was put outside the gate. That Jesus Christ, if you would, took our sin, our leprosy on himself. And by his stripes, we are healed. Well, I was going to try to go to verse 17 today, but I think our time has run out. And I want to finish with this poem. Did we, were we able to print those up, Tim? No. Okay. I want to read this poem to you and we'll end. The touch of the master's hand. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it's scarcely worth a while to spend much time with the old violin, but it, he held it up with a smile. What is my bid for this old violin? A dollar, a dollar, uh, who will make it two? Two dollars will make it three. Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the back of the room came a gray-haired man, and he picked it up with the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin, tightening the loosening strings. He played a melody as pure and sweet as caroling angels sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I to bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, we'll make it two. Two thousand, we'll make it three. Three thousand, three thousand, twice going, going, gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We cannot quite understand what change it's worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, battered and scarred by sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Lord, we come before you this morning, God, and oh, how true your word is. How it's not just word, but a spirit in life. And Lord, we understand that we can allow that leprosy to come into our life, that 
tiny little bright spot and it starts to go deeper than the skin until it begins to rot our whole being and separate us from our family and isolate us from everybody. And, and then it begins to decay and decay and decay until all is rotten and smelly and disgusting and past human ability to help us. Only Jesus, only our Messiah, only our God can do what has never been done in the history of mankind. And Lord, we come this morning to you. We come to you, Father, the great high priest who is looking at the work of Jesus. And you've given us the blood and the water. (laughs) You've given us that resurrection, that, that bird flying free. You've raised again from the dead that we can be forgiven. As we're here this morning, just ending right now, if you're here going, man, that's me. I come this morning. I'm a lost sinner. I tried the trip programs. <laughs> I've read the books. I've joined the clubs. I've been a part of churches. I, I, I believe in the organization. But none of these things have done it. It's Jesus you need right now. Lord, if you're willing... He is willing. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but quite the opposite, not just be healed, but have eternal life. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, heal me. If you're a Christian here and you're just not in the place you need to be, should be, want to be, just right now, Lord, I I come. I don't have leprosy yet, but there's a bright spot. (laughs) It's turning white, and and I know it's deeper than just the top of my skin here. It's starting to go deeper and deeper and affect me, and I I think it's just no big deal, but it is a big deal. Lord, help me to hate what you hate to the degree you hate it. Help me to love what you love to the degree you love it. Jesus, touch me now. Touch all of us this morning, Lord. Let your word go forth and heal us all. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.